Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Reese says, you have a call. Answer it. You will be a faithful witness and so will I if you do what God has called you to do. Are you doing it? Now, I don't know what God's called you to do. So you've got to go to God. But I know one thing. God has not called you to sit. God has given you at least one gift. Therefore, He's called you to do at least one thing. And you need to be doing it. But I know He's brought you for a purpose. And He saved you with a call. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You often hear celebrities say, I was born to act, born to make music, or born to play this sport or that. Well, Pastor Xavier says the simple truth is we do all have gifts in different areas. In fact, they're gifts of the Spirit. But it's only those applying their gift in the service of the Kingdom of God that can be called a faithful witness. Let's join Pastor Xavier in a study of one such example, John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 37 this morning. We want to look at three factors that contributed to John the Baptist's faithful witness of Jesus, which if we will be keen to observe, it will help us to become faithful witness of Jesus also. And they're very simple. They're laid out here in our text. But allow me to read verses uh, 19 down to 37, and then I'll give you the three factors, okay? He says, now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent uh, priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us what do you say about yourself and he said I am the voice one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord uh, as the prophet Isaiah said now those who were sent from, uh, were from the Pharisees and they asked him saying why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ nor Elisha nor the prophet John answered them saying I baptize with water but there stands one among you whom you do not know it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, or Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Uh, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now, first, John knew who he was, the voice in the wilderness, verses 19 through 23. Secondly, John knew what he was called to do, baptize in water, verses 24 through 28. And then thirdly, John knew who he was to point people to, Jesus, verses 29 through 34. Now we'll go through them as we go through them once again. 
if you missed any of those, okay? Let's look at the first. John knew who he was, the voice in the wilderness. In verse 19, the occasion of the, uh, of the delegation sent by the Jews from Jerusalem gave opportunity for John to be and to be revealed as a witness. Isn't it interesting that God always provides an opportunity for you to be his witness? Now, sometimes those opportunities are not the most favorable. Sometimes they're kind of awkward. Sometimes they're very flowing, very loving. It's just great. And it's like, oh, you feel so good. But nevertheless, God is the one who chooses the opportunity. And he's the one that sets the scenario. And we are the ones who follow the orders. And we are to be witnesses to him. Notice secondly in verse 20 and 21 that the answer of John the Baptist reveals who he was not, first of all. Who he was not. That's as important as who he is. In verse 20, John the Baptist confessed and did not deny, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. You see, the people were in expectation of all in that region, reasoning in their hearts if John was the Messiah. Luke 3.15 tells us that. They were all in expectation of the Messiah. And they were saying, hey, you think John's the Messiah? Some say, nah. Some say, yeah, he is. Others say, well, I don't know. So it's interesting that at this particular time, the people were in expectation of the Messiah's coming. What, what made them expect after 400 years? I always love the way the Spirit of God works in the heart of people. And he begins to set the tone and everything's going on. But now in verse 22 through 23, the answer of John the Baptist reveals who he was. First the negative, now the positive. Verse 23 says, John the Baptist confessed, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. The voice of a carrier, the focus being on his work, not on his person. Listen, I am not the important one. It's Jesus. If I point to anything, I should point to the work that God has called me to be a pastor teacher. And that's it. It's very important. You see, John the Baptist was to bear witness that the eternal Logos who became flesh was coming after him and was in higher rank than him. And he's told us that already in verse 15 of this chapter. Incredible. And so here you have John. He was a faithful witness of Jesus because he knew who he was, the voice in the wilderness. John knew what he was called to do, to baptize in water, Verses 24 through 28. Notice he, Jesus, who stood among them, whom they did not know, he who was coming after him was preferred higher than him. He would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire an inward transformation to validate the outward ritual. Verse 26 and 27. You see, if you get water baptized, but you're not born again, all you are is a wet sinner. But if you're born again, then the water baptism is an outward confession of what already has happened in your heart. Notice thirdly there in verse 28 that the Baptist was to perform his ministry at the location that God chose. Oh, this is good. Too often we want to be used of God. But we want to choose where we're going to be used, right? I want to make sure it's not too overwhelming. I want to make sure it's not really going to demand too much of my time. I want to make sure it's not going to cost me financially for sure. And, 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 and God forbid that, that I may have to just hang out with people who I just really don't care to be identified with. You know what I mean? And so people go build their ministries wherever they want. And they end up with their ministries, not the ministry of Jesus Christ. Notice the location was not in the center of Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem was a holy city, the city of David. John wasn't called there. The location was not to be in the priesthood office at the temple. Though God had established it. The location was not to be in the midst of a select few or wealthy people. The location was to be in the wilderness and into all the regions around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, Luke 3, 3 tells us. John was a faithful witness of Jesus because he knew what he was called to do, baptize in water. Now, you will be a faithful witness, and so will I, if you do what God has called you to do. Do you know what God's called you to do? Are you doing it? If you are, you're a faithful witness. If not, you're being an unfaithful witness. Now, I don't know what God's called you to do, so you've got to go to God. But I know one thing. God has not called you to sit. God has given you at least one gift. Therefore, he's called you to do at least one thing, and you need to be doing it. Now, I'm not going to get after you. I'm just here to tell you that he's called you to do something. And you'll stand before his judgment on accountability, not me. I have enough problems with my own accountability, you know what I mean? But I know he's brought you for a purpose. And he saved you with a call. Now, the third factor that made John a faithful witness is found in verse 29 through 37. John knew who he was to point people to. Jesus. He knew who he was to point people to, and it's no one but Jesus. In verse 29, John the Baptist was to point man to the Lamb of God. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. The occasion took place the following day. Jesus was walking towards John the Baptist. Now, understand that at this point, Jesus had already defeated Satan in the wilderness. The 40 days have already expired. It's probably about the 41st day or so. Okay? He is recalling back after the baptism. He's already gone through the temptation, everything else. Jesus has returned, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The proclamation identifies this person in fulfillment of all the promises and prophecies and types of the Old Testament. In Genesis 22, uh, where Isaac is sacrificed and God gives us husband, God will provide himself a sacrifice. The very same mountain, 2,000 years later, Jesus would be given. The Passover lamb in Exodus 12, Jesus Isaiah 53, the lamb that was dumb, taken to the slaughter, Jesus. He was the fulfillment. Every Jew understood the sacrificial system of atonement. When he says, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, every Jew in their mind saw an animal, saw a man laying hands, transferring the sin, saw him cut its throat, blood go up, squealing, hit the floor, lifeless, blood put on the horns, filleted, put on the altar, atonement. God has schooled them for thousands of years so they would not miss their Messiah, but they did. They knew exactly what that meant. Every Jew knew that only the life of another could substitute for his own and expiate for his sin. Every Jew knew the atoning power was in the spotless lamb and it was the blood, the life of the flesh and the blood was the atoning power, Leviticus 17, 11 says. Hebrews 9, 22 says, apart from the sharing of blood, there is no remission of sins. They knew. They understood now notice also the proclamation identifies his mission to take away the, the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that he made him, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. He was our substitute. Jesus himself told his disciples in Matthew 20, 28, I did not come to be ministered unto but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. Interesting. 
He was a propitiation, 1 John 2, 2 says. The word propitiation has to do with sacrifice, the appeasing of God's wrath. He was a propitiation not only for our sins, but for the whole world. Interesting. The phrase, the Lamb of God, is unique of John. You find it here in verse 29 and 36. Nowhere else do you find it. Now, you do find the term lamb. It's used synonymous for the Lamb of God, and it's found only one time in Acts 8.32, one time in 1 Peter 1.19. But do you know where it's found the rest of the times? The book of Revelation, 28 times. 28 times. Who wrote Revelation? John the Beloved. <laughs> the term is uniquely his. Now, notice the extent is the benefit to who? The world. No one's excluded. And by the way, the word sin is singular. He died for the sin of the world. He would take away the sin of the world. Why singular? Because all sins are manifestations of one sin, rebelling against God. That's the problem. We make ourselves God. So he would die for the sin of the world. The extent of that benefit would be to the world. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See? So you're not excluded. Now, we, I don't want to get into predestination free will. But if you're hung up on that, you say, Well, that's not fair. What if I'm not predestined? Well, how do you know you're not? Well, I haven't come. Why haven't you come? I don't want to. Well, tough luck. This is your fault. Well, that's not fair. Well, then why don't you come? You'll find out you're predestinated. Well, how does that work? I don't know. But you better come. You know what I mean? Whosoever will. Whosoever will. Come and drink of the waters of life, what? Freely. Are you a whosoever will? You qualify, right? Are you a sinner? Hey, you qualify. <laughs> come. Now notice secondly here, verse 30 down to 33. John the Baptist was to point man to the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. The Lamb of God would be the eternal one who would come after John and rank higher than him. He points that out here in verse 30. He's already pointed it out in verse 6 and 8 also. And he pointed it out also in verse 15. The statement can only mean one thing, that he was from eternity. He, was, he came before me. Why? He was before me. Because John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. You remember when uh, Elizabeth got pregnant and she was sort of embarrassed. She was so old. And, and, uh, and then Eliz uh, Mary heard it and they were related. And so she went over her house and, and the minute she walked in, Elizabeth saw her. And, and John the Baptist did a backflip inside her womb filled with the Holy Spirit. And she walks in and she says, boy, what, to what do I owe this that the mother of my Lord should come? And she says that he was filled with the Spirit of God in her womb. How interesting. John the Baptist was six months older. How can he say he was before me? Because he was the pre-existing one from all eternity. Very simple. The Lamb of God was not known to John the Baptist to be Jesus' cousin until he baptized him, verse 31 through 33 says. So when you read that, it doesn't mean that John the Baptist didn't know his cousin. He knew his cousin. He knew that his cousin was his cousin. He just didn't know that his cousin was a Messiah. You understand? And only time would reveal that. And so in verse 31, the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry to baptize was that the Lamb of God, the eternal God, might be revealed to Israel. 
He came to his own, his own received him not. Verse 11. What a tragic verse. When Jesus came to John to be baptized, John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized of you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus said, permit it so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3, 14 through 15. See, when Jesus came and he knew he was the Messiah, John kind of said, whoa, you baptized me. He said, no, no, no. We must fulfill all righteousness. You baptized me. Must have blown John away. You know what I mean? Now notice the sign given to John, the Baptist by God, to identify the one who would baptize the Holy Spirit was what? That the Spirit would descend upon him and remain upon him. Verse 32 and 33. So the baptism was an imperative to identify the Messiah, the Lamb of God. So that John could be assured that this is the one that he was to point men to. Now notice thirdly that John the Baptist was to point man to the Son of God. Verse 34 says that. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. By the way, it's a whole different study. I'm not going to tell you how many titles are given to Jesus in this first chapter. But go through the first chapter. How many titles are given to him? Amazing. Amazing. He saw that what? He, the Lamb of God, was what? The Son of God. The pre-existent one, the eternal one, the incarnate one. He testified that the baptizer with the Holy Spirit was the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity, the true light that lights every man that comes into the world, the creator of everything. Man. John says, this is the Son of God. Remember the centurion at the cross? Truly, this was the Son of God. Incredible. What's the purpose of John's gospel? That you might say, he is the Son of God. Very simple. I notice fourthly, in verse 35 through 37, John the Baptist pointed Andrew and John to who? Jesus. What a faithful witness. In verse 35, John the Baptist was standing with Andrew and John, the beloved. And John the Baptist was looking, and the word means with a penetrating gaze, as Jesus walked away from him. Because before John Jesus was walking towards Jesus in verse 29. Now in verse 35 there, he's walking away from John. And I can almost see it as he sees Jesus walking away, he looks to him and probably points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then Andrew and John, the beloved, were the first two disciples of Jesus to follow Jesus. Verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Hmm. John the Baptist declared to his disciples one day when they got in a heated debate about the baptism with the Pharisees, and they were seeing all the people going to Jesus in the Jordan. John told his disciples in John 3, 25 through 30, Three important things so that you understand that you don't have to worry about people, where they go, what church they go. If God has called you and anointed you, then you have only one purpose, to point people to Jesus. Not to your church, not to you, but to Jesus. Listen to the three important things. They'll help you. The first one is found in John 3, 27. John the Baptist told this to his disciples as they were getting envious and jealous of Jesus. 
He clearly told them that a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from above. Do you understand that? That means that every one of you that are here this morning, I have nothing to do with your coming. You are here by God's divine appointment. How long you will be here, that will also be God's appointment, not mine. And when you leave, the Lord bless you. I hope you go to a church and you become an asset and not a liability. But if God sends you to another church, God bless you. I'll see you in heaven. I can't receive nothing except it's given to me of God because God asked for the church that at least that you should be saved. So I, I have never added one person to the church. And I don't intend to. So it's up to the Lord. Second truth he gave, very important. It's in verse 28 and 29. He clearly told him he was not the Christ, but the friend of the bridegroom who rejoiced when he heard the voice of the groom who has the bride. Oh, that's good. John said this, listen, you knuckleheads. Haven't I told you? How many times have I told you? I am not the light. I am here to bear witness of the light. I am not the Messiah. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. And I'll give you another illustration. I am not the groom. I am the friend of the bridegroom. And I take the bride and I am happy and I give the bride to the groom. The friend of the groom. The best man does not marry the bride. If he does, you're in trouble. Very simple. Third important fact in verse 30 he clearly told him that he had to decrease and jesus had to increase oh that's good do you feel god's called you to a ministry then hold it loose don't tower over people don't think you have to control people don't think that they belong to you you must decrease and jesus must increase that should be put in every pastor's office or his pulpit. It is Jesus that we point people to. It is Jesus that's to increase, not man. Sometimes I fear that people in the church always are pointing and proclaiming and promoting their church and their pastor rather than Jesus Christ. That's no good. Now, you have a faithful, a good pastor that loves you, great. I'm not speaking against that. You have a church that really cares for people and you want people to get fed and you want them to go there, fine. I'm not speaking against that. But you make sure that you're pointing people to Jesus and not just because you want them to come to your church or to make your church grow. You point them to Jesus. Very, very important. And so John was a faithful witness of Jesus because he knew who he was to point people to. Jesus. Man. Who do you point people to? Tell them about Jesus, man. It's important. Great, great truths. Uh, we have looked at these three factors that have contributed to the faithful witness of John the Baptist regarding Jesus. If we will study these carefully and we apply them to our life, we can't help but to be faithful witnesses also of Jesus. John knew who he was, the voice in the wilderness. Do you know who you are? You're to know who you are in Christ. John knew what he was called to do, baptizing water. Do you know what you've been called to do? Are you doing it? If you are, you're being a faithful witness. John knew who he was to point people to, Jesus. Are you pointing people to Jesus? If you are, then once again, 
you being a faithful witness. May we give ourselves to it that we may be faithful witnesses. May God multiply John the Baptist. Pastor Xavier Reese summarizing the simple truths of what makes up a faithful witness using the example of John the Baptist answering the call on his life. And with that, Pastor Xavier concludes this message he's calling John the Faithful Witness. And if what you've heard has posed a specific challenge in your own walk, maybe your own CD copy would be helpful for further personal study. In fact, there's more content to the message than time allows us to present on the air. And then you'll also be able to listen and make notes at your own pace. Plus, having your own copy makes it convenient to pass along to others. Once again, the title is John the Faithful Witness, and we'd be happy to pass one along to you for just $4. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Next time on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier continues on through the Gospel of John, arriving at the wedding feast at Cana. You're invited too. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com